Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back, people, to Man Bites Pod. And uh, yeah, I'll cut straight to the mustard. We are venturing into Carpenter territory, John Carpenter, the man legend himself. And we are starting with Big Trouble in Little China from 1986. Um, Yeah, so I'm just going to open it up there to my two compadres, my two pod partners here, the Reverend and Commander. Gentlemen, John Carpenter. Um, what's your opinion of the man? What's your personal history of uh, this movie? I mean, John, John Carpenter. John Carpenter is probably the most punk rock horror director ever. Um, and I mean, he didn't only do horror, as we see with Big Trouble in Little China, and and some other things we'll get into at another time. But the guy has created some of the most iconic and um, uh, what's the word? Uh, most iconic characters, uh, theme musics that are you utilized over and over again, but even fight scenes, um, lines from movies that a lot of people don't know are from Carpenter flicks. Um, really brilliant, and not concerned with money, not concerned with credit, like his own name being attached to everything, single thing he did, which we'll get into. That's a, I, I love Carpenter. I respect him. I respect him more than most directors, even ones that are better than him with with billion dollar budgets. Yeah, a hundred percent, man. Uh, there's no arguing it. He hasn't really done a bad film. Like everything he touches is good, if not great. You know. Yeah. And it's been a while since I watched this. I was super excited to watch it again. Um, you know, seeing it on a a new TV really has a lot to do with it because this is such a classic VHS fucking film. Sure. That's, sure. that's the way I saw it for so many years, watching it with some detail to it. You just see even more the brilliance that it is. Oh, you can really see those, those green uh, contact lenses or contact lenses in the, when it's not a yeah. shitty VHS copy. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, interesting. Um, yeah, Commander, like uh, Reverence touched on, this is a classic VHS film, so, you know, I watched it back in the day, as I did myself. Um, it was shown on uh, New Zealand television a lot for whatever reason. I think it was just shown on television a lot across the globe. So More 100%. Back in the day. Um, yeah, it was a similar sort of situation for yourself with this movie? Absolutely. Uh, I watched this all the time whenever it came on, like USA Network or whatever the fuck we had it on back then. Yeah. Um, and and this is a perfect example. This movie in particular, I'm sure you're going to get into box office and things like that. But VHS, John Carpenter is the king of the cult VHS 
uh, movie. I mean, okay. movies yeah. like this, movies like They Live, movies like, uh, you know, that were not well, necessarily well received in the box office. Matter of fact, all the movies he made with Kurt Russell are cult classics now that didn't do well in the theaters. Yeah. So, okay. and in VHS is the reason that they're so well known, so well distributed, and that any money were made off them at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's so much to touch on. Just being careful about where we go because there is so much to touch on with Cup. Oh yeah. Um, uh, the genre of okay, we'll stick with Big Trouble Little China. We'll just verge off as we go. Um, Big Trouble Little China. Now, just a question of genre, because uh, John Carpenter is an auteur, like a film author. As soon as you watch basically a scene of a John Carpenter movie, if you're given no context, you know it's a John Carpenter movie. That's what marks an auteur, yeah, an author of film. Uh, he's also a genre hopper, like other great auteurs, uh, Takeshi Miike, Howard Hawks, etc. Now, but this one is a mishmash of genres, like more than I've ever seen any film mash genres together, yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's got everything. What, comedy, kung fu, sci-fi, fantasy, action? Um, yeah. Yeah, the whole deal. Yeah, it's berserk. It's berserk. And um, truck driving. Somehow it, yeah. Can't yeah. leave out truck driving, man. Oh, is that yeah, a genre a of film? Well, there's uh, um, Chris, Chris... 100% a genre of film, Ryan. Yeah. Okay. You know that. No, I um, don't know that. I don't believe that. Convoy. True. Convoy. Chris Christopherson. Pin four rubber ducky. <laughs> yeah, Convoy, Over the Top. Fucking, there's a yeah. few of them, man. <laughs> over the Top, the one where Silver, Sylvester Stallone fucking arm wrestled for custody of his kid. A exactly. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, um, and it's and somehow, yeah, like a John Carpenter just throws everything at the wall and makes it stick. Like this is John um, Pollock, Jackson Pollock filmmaking, you know, right <laughs> at its finest, absolutely. Uh, uh, so that's the uh genre. Um, now, uh, well, let's look at the cast before I go, because I want to go into the history a little bit before we go and get into the plot, because they had a little bit of a history to it, this film. Of course, you have uh, Kurt Russell as Jack Burton, as the commander has pointed out. Uh, Russell and Carpenter have quite a fantastic working relationship even before this film. Um, most notably, for myself anyway, they made the, the Thing, which is one of the best films of all time, period. Yeah, that's True. like a legitimate cinematic masterpiece that film um and then you have other things like you know like escape from new york as well so where he was doing a very kind of clint eastwood type of you know thing and this is mm -hmm. very much uh, big troubles of very much a john wayne type of thing <laughs> performance parody however you want to put it um it has tim cattrall uh yeah Modern audience, contemporary audiences may know her from as Sam from Sex and the City. Yeah, but she's the one that bangs everybody. Yeah, oh, yeah, shit, yeah that's yeah. who that is. That is mm -hmm. who that is. Reference. She's the lascivious, 
the lascivious one, absolutely. Um, but back in the day, as we probably know it from kids, she was in Porky's Police Academy. And not long after this film, she was in Mannequin. That's right. She was in Mannequin. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about yeah. I forget about that movie. <laughs> um, Dennis Dunn. Um, sorry, um, Kim Cattrall, she plays Gracie Law in the movie, Attorney at Law. Yes, nice. Uh, <laughs> nice play on word pun. <laughs> Pretty obvious. There's pun. a lot of that. There's a lot yeah. of that in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And Carpenter's a bit of a fan of that sort of thing in general, I've noticed. Uh, Dennis Dunn plays Wang Chi, who pretty much is the unofficial hero of this movie. We'll go into why. Um, and uh, he was in Year of the Dragon before, which came out just before this movie, which pretty much set the uh, the groundwork for Asians to be recognized in cinema in America. It's a very different film to this film, of course. It's a lot more gritty, heavy crime drama. Um, but um, Big Trouble in Little China is one that really paved the way for uh, Asians to be recognized in American cinema. And a lot of the Asians in this film still love this film and John Carpenter for giving them this opportunity. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, uh, he was in Year of the Dragon as well. Sorry, The Last Emperor, which was after this. And that was very much an uh, Oscar film. Yeah. Um, for Asian cinema in America. Uh, and he was in Prince of Darkness as well. He worked with Carpenter again in Prince of Darkness in 87. Now we have James Hong, motherfucking James Hong. Have you yeah. seen his film? Have you seen his filmography? Yo, it's 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 next level, man. It's that guy is a heavy. Yeah. Yeah, over 600 credits in film, TV, and video games since 1954. Still working to this day with two projects in post-production being a Star Wars, uh, Star Wars Visions and a new Gremlin series called Secrets of the Mogwai. And they're there to come out soon. So he is still working in 2021. Yeah, and he is yeah, 92, I, 92 years old. That's I mean, he's in, he's in so much. Dude, he was in fucking Blade Runner. Like he's yes, he was a player. That's a yes, bad a motherfucker, man. He played uh who was he in Blade Runner? Ba, 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 ba. He was Hannibal Chu. Hannibal Chu in Blade Runner. Yeah. Uh he was Jeff Wong in Wayne's World 2. Chi Fu in Mulan, the Disney joint. Uh he was Dowline Wong in Jackie Chan's Adventure and uh, Jackie Chan Adventures and Mr. Ping in the Kung Fu Panda franchise. So you know, these are iconic roles, if you will, for multiple generations, yeah? From Godzilla oh, yeah. times to today, absolutely. Legendary dude, legendary dude. Uh, we have um, Victor Wong, I wanted to point out as well. Oh, that dude, um, I will always think of Tremors when I think of that guy. When well, I think of Victor well, Wong, it's the first thing, that, before this movie, even. Mm -hmm. um, he was also in Year of the Dragon, uh, he was also in The Golden Child, the, comp the film that was in competition, studio competition with Big Trouble in Little China. That was the uh, same year, wasn't it? Wasn't it later the same year? It was this um, Golden Child with Eddie Murphy came yeah. out in 
Christmas of 86. This came out about uh, June, July. I don't have the month written down, but it was a rush for the two studios, uh, Warring Studios. I'm not sure who they were, say Fox or whoever did Golden they, Child. No, they were both put out by Fox. Oh, they're both put out by Fox. Interesting. Mm -hmm. wow. I think Carpenter, I think if I remember right, now that you're saying this, I think that Carpenter actually was the one that hurried production along so he could get it out before the other one. Yes, yes, um, uh, because, because you have basically urban fantasies. Yeah, urban fantasy movies coming out with strong comedic elements by, you know, from Cooper, uh, um, with um, Eddie Murphy as well, you know what I mean? So right. it was like, yeah, so really had to get it out first, otherwise it would have been swallowed up, definitely. Most definitely would have been swallowed up, yeah. Um, and Victor Wong was also, uh, sorry, Year of Dragon, Golden Child, The Last Emperor, and he also worked again with Carpenter and Prince of Darkness. And um, Susie uh, Pai as Miao Lin is a, uh, the green-eyed girlfriend, half French, half Portuguese, model and penthouse pet. Just want nice. to throw that in there, so people <laughs> in context of that. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, screenplay. This uh, this was interesting. Gary Goldman and David C. Weinstein had that's the name had been inspired by a new wave of martial arts films that had all sorts of weird actions and special effects shot against a background of uh, Asian mysticism and modern sensibilities. Now, originally, Big Trouble in Little China was to be a western set in the eighteen eighties. Right. Mm. Mm -hmm. When Jack was supposed to have a horse instead of a truck. Yes, yes. Uh, his horse was meant to be stolen rather than his truck. Pork chop. That sounds uh, funny. So glad they bit. went with a truck driver gimmick <laughs> instead, man. <laughs> totally. Uh, and, and it was meant to be a cowboy who just rides into town, John Wayne style. So, yeah, it's very interesting. It makes interesting sense. Fucking truck drivers are the last cowboys, you know? Sure. Especially sure. during the 80s, during this movie. It was a big thing, man. And I'm not sure what the synchronicity is with um, uh, Russell as well. Uh, uh, Kurt Russell, like, um, wanting to do Jack Burton as a very John Wayne-like figure. I don't know if he'd actually read the original screenplay. Well, or it... I think that this one... Okay, so Jack Burton, even in the script, was... He's a pretty bumbling kind of buffoonish guy he yeah. he's, he's he's really just a confident fuck up but um whereas like snake Pliskin, which he based on clint eastwood is clearly a yeah. cold yeah. demeanored soft spoken yet gravelly voiced extremely competent anti-hero fucking jack burton just bumbles around and stumbles into shit and sometimes it works out <laughs> so yeah. I think and John Wayne's a fucking cartoon character. He's he's ridiculous. So he is. He is. I think he that's is. where he approached this from. Not even from a manner of disrespect, like I'm putting it, but from a manner of his his the way he talks and the way he acts can be very, very funny, especially when it's out of context from what he's normally doing. But mm -hmm. I mean, John Wayne is one of those guys that is a caricature of himself. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. It's John Wayne with some Barney Fife in there. You know, he's bumbling, but he's attractive. He's the good-looking yeah, dude. That's like fucking the badass, and he's got that confidence. 
but he's also Barney, Barney Fife at the same fucking time. Yeah, he's endearing for sure. I can see how this could be a Western, honestly. Oh, yeah. It's got the caricatures. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, now, uh, the studio rejected the screenplay and brought in uh, W.D. Richter, a veteran script doctor and director. Now, I've never heard of this. I'm you guys might have, especially you, Reverend. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. And oh, I've the, seen that film. From the eighth dimension and the eighth dimension yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is that? What is that? <laughs> that's uh, that's the whole deal, man. Go ahead. Yeah, it's like a Star Wars ripoff, and that's it's like its own genre as well. Like Buckaroo Banzai, fucking. Uh, and like ice ice pirates from back in the day, but yeah, uh, ice which pirates. also had truckers in it, which was a sci-fi movie about truckers. Like it was a genre thing at the time. Like Buckner, Buckaroo Bonsai was like not good, but it was during the last Starfighter and like low budget, medium sized yeah. budget sci-fi okay. movies were doing well. So they were pumping them out. Yeah, so. and yeah, exactly. And this was they took a bunch of things and they went with this weird it's a comedy it's an adventure it's a sci-fi it's romantic it, they went with this weird mishmash just like carpenter did here and they sure. actually got some pretty big names i mean who's in that john lithgow's in it jeff goldblum's yeah. in it uh, uh, who's the main guy oh fucking peter weller the guy that plays Roto robocop yeah yeah yeah, Play, yeah, plays yeah. Buckaroo yeah that's good that's, yeah and right. we gotta keep in mind back then that was a bit more of a big deal having Peter Weller in the yeah. 80s. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they were they were doing the same thing Carpenter did, but they kind of fucked it up. Probably studio intervention get being too, you know what I mean, getting too involved in it. And they probably just threw too much money at a dumb idea instead of doing the Carpenter style where they're like, hey, let's just make a fucking movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it, mm -hmm. No, it was a it, it, it's awesome. It, it's fucking so wonderful. It, it's totally. one of those time capsules of the 80s that we're going to do fucking a sci-fi movie about truckers or we're going to do fucking sci-fi movie. A lot of these are based off of fucking Flesh Gordon, which was really fucking early themed pornography that came out. And that was playing with Deep Throat at the time. And when fucking Flesh Gordon came out, which is a ripoff of Flash Gordon... All yeah. the regular studios were like, wow, a weird sci-fi thing can take off the way that Star Wars actually did, too, because no one thought that Star Wars was going to be a thing, yeah, you know? True, um, true. And some of it was good, and some of it was bad. I really like Ice Pirates. Yeah, Ice Pirates <laughs> was fun. Oh, dude, you know what I just remembered else is in, is in Buckaroo Bonsai? Fucking Christopher Lloyd is in that, too. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Interesting. Um, okay, moving on, moving on. Thank you, gentlemen. Good insight. Um, Richter discarded everything from the original script except for low pan story. Uh, his biggest innovation to the script was to take turn of the century San Francisco um, out of the picture, so to speak, because he uh, placed the story in the underworld. The idea taking it from alienation you know, turn of the century, San Francisco alienates the audience, using Rosemary's Baby as the template, as a script template, um, put it in the underworld, figurative underworld, well, in Big Trouble Literal as well, to create a sense of universality, universality so everyone could relate to it. Yeah, it doesn't alienate anyone. Right. Um, 
Carpenter made his own additions to Richter's rewrites, which included uh, strengthening the Gracie Law role, good move, and linking her to Chinatown, also a good move. Um, and he also removed some action sequences due to budget and eliminated material to, uh, he deemed offensive to Chinese Americans. Carpenter's a good dude. Um, Carpenter said the characters in the film were very 1950s Howard Hawks people a la bringing up baby in his school Friday. Yeah. Uh, and a perfect example of that is Jack and Gracie's banter throughout the film. Yeah. So it's screwball comedy is another 1940s screwball comedy is another thing. Yeah, that's thrown into this mix. Um, music wise, Carpenter, I mean, like the guys, I love his music to this day. Yeah. Um, I think uh, independent music, the whole indie music scene is, be, is starting to see him as a, an important figure in music. Uh, Soundwave, he has revitalized Soundwave and modern horror cinema, definitely in the independent scene. It Follows is a classic example that is so Carpenter-esque, it's ridiculous. Um, and, uh, and he's also going through a renaissance at the moment, Carpenter as well. So contemporary horror fans, if you don't know Carpenter, go back and watch his horror films. And people who like films in general, um, certainly when they want to see someone who can do any genre, watch Carpenter in general. Let's give his third act, you know, some um, the respect it deserves because he's always been someone who has struggled, I mean, like, um, he's always fought against the grain, yes, but I don't think he's ever really been shown the respect he deserves, really, until now. You know what I mean? I don't know if you agree. Um, I think he's always had a, a fair amount of respect in the underground and a little bit on the top in the mainstream, but, yeah, I think he's getting a little more credit these days. The credit he really deserves is coming his way at this point. I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I guess that's a time thing as well. Yeah, um, the, his history creates perspective to be able to look back and recognize the quality, the value of things as well, etc. Um, um, he was nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Music for this film. He worked against the usual cliches and scores for American movies about Chinese characters and instead opted for his trademark synthesizer score mixed with rock and roll music, which he does did from time to time as well. Uh, in the Mouth of Bandus, that uh, theme song's very Metallica. I think he samples Metallica a little bit for it. No, not necessarily samples, but echoes, emulates Metallica for that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, reception for this movie. Now, the movie opened in 1000. And 53 theaters in July 2nd, 1986. It grossed uh, 2.7 million on its opening weekend and went on to gross 11.1 million in North America. That was very a, short. A huge loss. Huge loss. Very short of its 19 to $25 million shooting budget. Fox didn't know how to market this movie. Once it was done and in the can, they were very much. What the F do we do with this? What is right, because like you said, this is a genre-bending yeah. flick. It's not even two genres. It's like seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now this film is but, 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 um, as with a lot of these films, certainly films that we look at uh, Man Bites Pod here, uh, follow us on Instagram, that it's, it's got a cult media, uh, cult media, cult following, yeah. 
Um, and and that has got a comic series, which I think was an unofficial sequel to this movie. I haven't looked into it. It has a video game that came out um, not soon after the movie. There is a board game. There's Lots a fucking of... video game of what? Yeah. No. Yeah, man. What? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, on NES, I think. Holy uh, fuck. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to write that down of, as a new life goal. Excellent. Uh, lots of um, vinyl releases as in music, as well as pop vinyl figures for all of the main characters as well. Um, now, there has been talk of a remake in recent times, Yes. Uh, now we'll start it off as talk of talk of a remake via The Rock. Dwayne Johnson uh, developing he wanted to to be developed through Seven Bucks Productions. That's his film studio. Yeah, John Carpenter was pretty much in a nutshell was like eh, maybe what. That was his kind of reaction to it. Now, yeah. in 2018, that was amended or updated that um, The Rock doesn't want to do a remake. He wants to do a sequel. He doesn't want to do Jack Burton's role, Kurt Russell's uh, role. Yeah. He wants to basically do a sequel and bring himself into it doing his rock thing. Yeah. All right. I mean, that's fine. Whatever. Yeah, I got, I got no hate with The fine. Rock. It's yeah, I really fine. don't hate The Rock either, honestly. Yeah, it's hard to hate him, but it's also hard to be excited about that prospect. It's not like, <laughs> yeah, like it's not I like, that, that sums it up very nicely. Thank you. I think the best way I can put it is I'm not offended by that, but certainly not interested either. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, and as I said, it has, it's had lots of influence, this film. Um, the Lightning Sorcerer of the Three Storms. People say that it's Raiden from Mortal Kombat. Every yeah. time I watch it, that's all I can think of. Mm -hmm. And and Lopan looks like Shang Tsung from Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Well, ah, well, that has been uh, credited as official by Mortal Kombat people. They say, oh, yes, really? absolutely. We took, <laughs> we took Lopan and that bubble. That's it. Yeah. But nice. They don't. They don't fess up to uh, Lightning Guy for Raiden. No, they don't fess up to that, but they do for Lo Pang and uh, what's his name, Shang Tsung. Shang yes. Tsung. So were the three guys the three the three bodyguards for for Lo Pang? They were were they they were named like Thunder, Lightning, and Storm or something, right? Uh, was it Storm or Wind? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Um, it was Wind or Storm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've got where they actually come from when I get to trivia as well. There's that old samurai film back in the day from the 60s where they actually, the actual influence comes from, the core influence. For me, they were very much um, the masters of death from Shogun Assassin as well. Sure. Fuck, I got to rewatch that. <laughs> Oh, it's great. It's great. Check it out on the Cinema Salon. Shameless plug. Um, Ninja Turtles TV series episode called A Chinatown Ghost Story has James Hong reprise his uh, role, his low-paying role. Um, and, the, and the episode used uh, concepts from uh, Little China. Um, not that I care about them, but they are influential. Deantvid, uh, however you say their fuck off name. We have Candy has Ninja reciting some of Jack Burton's dialogue from Big Trouble in Little China. 
2012 parody of Gangnam, Gangnam Style was entitled Lopan Style and featured the storyline and characters from the movie, including a cameo by James Hong. Uh, hmm, Taika Waititi uh, cites Big Trouble as an influence on Thor's Ragnarok. So this shift influenced Marvel, the biggest franchise out at the moment in movies. Interesting. What Japan kind of see, because I've seen Ragnarok for that type of bawdy slapstick humor. Yeah, has it comes into it. Doesn't pull it off anywhere as well as Big Trouble does. That's no, quietly, not at all. Not at all. I, I don't think it's been pulled off very well since movies like this were being made in the 80s. I don't. Yeah, it's it's of the time. It's yes, yeah, the spirit of the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. literally a type of acting, honestly, man. Like when you watch Troma and you watch Lloyd Kaufman, because like I gotta use that as an example because of my fucking brain, but he tells people fucking act, act badly, you know. And there's a certain style of that type of acting that was done in the '80s, and it's it's over the top and just like there's nothing dry about it. Everything is like super flamboyant, but like fucking cocky as hell. And like some of the dialogue is just straight because the dialogue was that good and it's one type of take type of thing. So, you know, it, it's a specific type of fucking all the movies that we've been talking about, like in this episode during that time period, the main character is always so prominent and he's just, this is what I got to say. And nobody's fucking with John Rambo. Nobody's fucking with Snake Pisklin. Fucking, like, there's just no fucking way, you know? Very good point. Yeah, very good point. And other films that were around this time, they were of that ilk, that spirit. I mean, like, when this came out, this was coined or labeled as a... Um, uh, and, uh, uh, an end... Uh, like, sorry, a... Um, not a giant, well, Chinese fantasy Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yeah, or well, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom set in San Francisco. Yeah. Sure. Um, there was, which John Carpenter was fine with that. He was fine with that labeling. Uh, Romancing the Stone. Yeah. Remember that? Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That was Douglas. kind of, that had a kind, though, Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas had a similar kind of relationship that um, Burton and uh, Gracie Law have in this. Um, yeah, it's a it's a buddy, it's a bumbling buddy uh, comedy. It's the odd couple, but with sexual tension. That's all it is. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I don't think any of them is as entertaining as this. I think this is the most entertaining film out of all of them. What do you? Um, what do you? I mean, like for me though, um, not, I don't want to critique this film. I don't want to shit on this film at all because I did like it. I liked it quite a bit. Um, but for me, it doesn't have a lot of rewatchability. Once I've seen it, I've seen it. I enjoyed it because it's been a long time since I saw it. But on the second watch, yeah, yeah, no, it's still got everything's still good about it from the first watch. But I wasn't kind of caught up in it the way that I was the first time. What do you guys think about its rewatchability? I actually kind of agree with you. At first, I'm like, are you serious? And then the, the more I thought about it, the more you spoke. I, I think I'm with you on that. Um, this is a movie that I would put over to anybody. Everyone should see this at least once. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, but even all of us saw this when we were kids, and we saw it a bunch when we were kids, and yet that's, that nostalgia is enough to dust it off maybe once every 10 years. 
mm-hmm. as opposed to Back to the Future, which I'll dust off once a year. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Um, I think the rewatchability is there, but it's low. After a time. After a time. You know? Yeah. When this came out, it was shit. I watched this all the time. <laughs> yeah. I've definitely seen this a bunch of times. And I guess I took like, pro- it's probably been five or six years since I fucking watched this last. And, uh, yeah, same. I'm really, I was really happy about watching it. I'll probably watch it again within the next, like, you know, year or two because it's fucking rad. It's fun. That's actually, that's another thing I've been doing since we've been doing this podcast. I tend to watch the movies, the ones that I do, I watch them twice in a row before we do the show but Mm -hmm. the ones that you guys pick i watch them once and then after we do the show i watch it at least one more time usually um kind of a new way of watching that i don't normally do but yeah i'll be fucking dusting this one off probably again tomorrow and then i'll be done with it for five to ten years (laughs) but after those five or ten years you're gonna enjoy the fuck out of it when you do watch it again yeah, I'm yeah, gonna set my yeah. alarm. I'm gonna set my five-year yeah. fucking big trouble alarm, mm-hmm. and I'll fucking watch mm-hmm. it. Yeah, a job um, interview. Where do you see you in, yourself in five years? What's your five-year plan here? In well, five I'm years, I'm gonna watch. Yeah, I'm gonna have to watch gonna, Big Trouble gonna, in Little gonna, China. I see myself yeah. watching Big Trouble in Little China again for the fifty-seventh time, <laughs> and enjoying the fuck out of it. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, because I think once you give it that space, you give it that time, um, it is enjoyable because the pacing is pretty much for an action comedy film. If you wanted to um, pare this film down to two genres, it's action comedy. Um, and the pacing sure. of it and the pacing of it is excellent for that type of uh, genre pairing. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with that. They had to rush this production to get it out before Golden Child as well. And everyone worked at speed on set to get it done. And everyone brought their A game. They worked far more, far more hours and far harder than they were actually paid. Uh, because, you know, John Carpenter was such a dude to work for. They knew it was such a great opportunity for Asians in cinema, for Kim Cattrall as well. It wasn't just another bimbo role, you know, what I mean as well because Gracie Law is a strong female character she's Um, actually pretty incredible uh something I learned in the course of watching this I just I didn't research this one as much I didn't have the time but something I learned is that she and my wife at one point producer LB did the uh uh sound design for this particular play um she was doing this movie during the day and then going to do Chekhov's three sisters at night in theater. Yes, that's correct. Yes. And she was, she was, she legit said, I'm doing this so I don't have to wait tables in order to be in theater because she wanted to be in theater, but her film career was paying for her to be in theater essentially the way she put it. So that was a, that's a hardworking broad, man. She was fucking, she was making moves and she, I mean, three sisters, is a pretty incredible story. I've seen that play a couple times, and it's pretty incredible when done right. Oh yeah, and you got to be good to do Chekhov. Yeah, yeah uh, it, as an actor or actress, yeah. fuck yeah, yeah. You do. yeah, 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 absolutely. absolutely. How do you emote without showing emotion? Like that's what the yeah. you know what I mean. You go <laughs> so fucking straight faced and still give off this aura yeah. of. Yeah. despair or hate or whatever mm-hmm. it might be it's fucking nuts man or in other words russian <laughs> <laughs> right right you've got to be a suicidal russian novelist 
Um, and before we get into the plot, last thing I wanted to mention, uh, Carl Betancourt, this is for you. You requested this. Uh, you hit me up online to do this movie. There you go, buddy. Love you. Hey, Big Carl. <laughs> oh, Brad. Check out his, uh, what is it called, Commander Carl Eats Carl Snacks? Eat snacks. Carl yeah. Eats Snacks is phenomenal. The one he just put out today was the chips that I sent him, actually. The third bag of chips I sent him. There you go. Nice. There you go. He's all just Google him. He's all over the shop. He's very entertaining, a lovely dude, and smart. That dude's fucking clued on, motherfucker. Yeah, man. Yeah. Carl, he may look Carl, like a big jock, but he is. Duh, 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 yeah. Yeah. Carl's one of yeah. the best dudes ever. Really, he is. He's the nicest guy in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, all right. All right. Anything else before we go into it? Anyone uh, wanted to touch on anything else? Oh, please take it away. Baron. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Okay. Now, first of all, all right. Now, start of this movie was tacked on by the producers. Yeah. We have uh, Egg uh, sitting uh, in an office uh, with, uh, I'm not sure if he's a lawyer or whatever it is. Yeah. And he's talking about, um, uh, I'm not sure if it's a police uh, office or a law office, whoever this guy in a suit is talking to Egg, uh, asking him about the truth of what happened. Yes, yeah? so it starts after everything has taken place, yeah, and then proceeds from there. Uh, now, the producers tacked on the start of this movie because they, when they saw it, they said that uh, the test screenings, et cetera, People won't get that Jack Burton's a hero and they won't understand uh, Chinese black magic, mysticism, etc. So we need to uh, state that Jack Burton was the hero of this or suggest that Jack Burton was the hero of this and this is going to involve magic. And that's why you see Egg do the little lightning trick and talk about black magic is real. Yeah. So that's just a little bit of Hollywood bullshit, in my opinion. I don't think it's the best start of the movie. I don't think it's the best start Fuck yeah, of the movie. Santa Maria. <laughs> that, is, that was a little hacky. That's a little Spielberg yeah. hacky fucking bullshit thing. I, I, it's probably the worst part of the whole flick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Because originally how this was written by Richter and by Carpenter was truck driver Jack Burton. He is driving into San Francisco and like one of the original podcasters uh, broadcasting to absolutely no one. <laughs> he is just spouting <laughs> out that. <laughs> these uh, John Wayne like one liners and such. Yeah, and like a basically like a madman because you know everyone else has turned off their 10-4 radio. Oh my God, not this shit again. <laughs> but it's absolutely hilarious um it sets the tone for um jack burton's character though you you get him straight away with this spouting off his one-liners and slamming his hoagie into his face as he's driving in to uh, uh san francisco um and then just uh catch me up like stop me if i'm missing out things or whatever um he starts and then he meets up with wang um, and uh, they're doing a gambling session in Chinatown, San Francisco, yeah? Yeah. And that's real Chinatown that where he first fucking comes in with the truck. That's like real San Francisco. That's oh, yeah. exactly the way it fucking looks. Yeah, yeah. And that is actually um, the Chinatown. We have a Chinatown here in Brisbane, yeah? But that's the Chinatown for uh, outside of China. That's the biggest 
that's the most populated area for Chinese people outside of China, isn't it? Oh yeah, pretty much. One hundred and fifty percent. Yeah, yeah. Okay. San Francisco okay. as a whole, but specifically that area. Um, yeah, that goes that that goes back to railroads and the gold rush. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like super mm-hmm. dense because it's San Francisco. It's a huge city, so it's all built on top of each other, anyway. So there's yeah, I mean like because it's there. it's a port city. You can only build in three directions. Yeah. So. <laughs> Until the earthquake comes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. And uh, okay, so they're basically they're gambling to dawn, <laughs> which is like yes. Yeah, I'm sure we all know nights like that, not necessarily gambling, but you know what I mean. And uh, and then um, there's one little bit of foreshadowing as well that goes on where uh, um, I think Wang goes double or nothing, whatever, and he does. And then um, then there's that trick with the bottle with the meat cleaver that he has, and then the beer bottle or whatever it is. Um, and he goes says I could chop this in half, double or nothing, and then it fly, and then he hits it, so it goes off, it flies off the table towards Jack's face. So I'm sure it's going to knock him out, so he can steal his money back. But Jack catches it, yeah, and says it's all of the reflexes. That comes into play later on. Wang owes uh, Jack a lot of money, but uh, Wang cannot uh, pay up to the money because uh, he has to go um, pick up his uh, fiance, um, Miao Yin, the green-eyed Miao Yin. And at the uh, airport, uh, Chinese street gang, the Lords of Death, attempt to kidnap her. They do kidnap her. And this is where um, Jack also meets up with Gracie Law as well. I uh, tries to head on head on her in uh, the airport upon first meeting her. That's just Jack's style. And uh, and uh, but after um, uh, and Jack and Wang track the Lords of Death to Chinatown, where they find a funeral procession that erupts into a battle between the Changsing and Wing Kong, two ancient Chinese warrior societies. Yeah, um, so that's enough of a setup, I think, because that's about twenty minutes, and then this film just goes berserk. Then <laughs> it just yeah. puts it into it the really takes off and just point. takes off. And then it just takes off. That's your exposition dump in 20 minutes. Um, and uh, yeah, and it just goes from there. And from and then um, we have very much a martial arts meets Western fight scene. Yeah, in the alleyway, because yes, they're all dressed in martial arts, garb doing martial arts, but they're also holding like Tommy guns and like pistols with gun belts and that sort of thing. So again, that mishmash. And then you meet the three storms, thunder, rain and lightning come down as well at this point of time. And so magic, mysticism, (laughs) um, the other worldly elemental forces are brought into play. uh, Wang knows what's going on. Jack Burton has absolutely no idea. Uh, and he certainly has no idea when Lopan, David Lopan, uh, comes down and enters the scene. Uh, Jack drives over him with uh, his truck called Porkchop. Yeah, his beloved pork chop um, drives over him and then he pops up on the other side, Lopan, and then Jack just loses his mind. Um, John Carpenter is very good at riding, driving over people. Yeah, and destroying he likes to stick that property. in there. 
and destroying property as well. If you want to see destruction and people being driven over, John Carpenter's your man. Check out Carpenter. Uh, sorry, Carpenter. Check out Christine. Christine. That whole movie's about driving over people. Yep. <laughs> I, I absolutely love that movie. Absolutely love it. I've got to revisit it. I haven't seen it for years, but um, the various podcasts I listened to to uh, prep for this, they love that movie. They were going, oh, my God, this movie's actually really good. This is it really surprising. is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's great. It's a Plymouth that was a, I think it's like a 55. That's what Christine is. Nice. Yep. Nice. Um, uh, da now, Wang hurriedly guides Jack through the alleyways to get away from Lo Pang and the other and the three storms, etc. Uh, and then uh, Pork Chop is stolen, which is pretty much is part of the infamous, if not the entire impetus, one could argue for uh, Jack Burton becoming involved in this whole scenario. He wants to get his, his truck back. Uh, Wang takes Jack to his restaurant where they meet with Gracie. Gracie Law, attorney at law, her journalist friend Margot, Wang's friend Eddie Lee, and magician Egg Shen. Uh, they explain to Jack, who only wants his truck back, the ancient knowledge and sorcery the Chinese brought with them to America. I love how this was explained as well by Shen as well. It's like a salad bar. You go on, you choose this, you choose that, you put it all together, you've got a delicious dish, Chinese black magic. We done? It's <laughs> 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 all you need, all you need. Um, the group devises a plan to infiltrate a brothel where they believe Miao Yin is held. Miao Yin uh, pretty much also translates to cat lady as well but just pretty much trend translation oh, pretty much literally that right? lady yes yeah <laughs> so um i think jack at one point is going there is a whole little bit of a cat joke is she a cat joke as well yes that is the joke <laughs> uh they break in but are interrupted by the storms uh who kidnap meow yin and take her to lo pan um that scene was kind of intense for me as well but in the brothel because um when they create the earthquake with the big green glowing orb where they come down into the brothel as well that looks like pretty much a standard or near large san francisco earthquake yeah mm. yeah yeah don't i don't like earthquakes just as an aside and <laughs> oh we love them out here. It's why we have so many. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Everyone yeah, yeah, together. yeah. We're just like, fuck it, hey, man. <laughs> Don't forget to get to hit the gas lines there. <laughs> raise the roof. Raise the roof. Yeah, it's fun. We can keep going with the California having earthquake jokes. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure we could. Uh, Jack and Wang track down the front business used by Lo Pan and impersonate telephone repair man to gain access. Yeah. Um, what did you guys think? Uh, like, I uh, will just stop there. Like, uh, what did you think of these two walking in Wang and Jack as telephone repairman? I that whole gimmick of the of the how can we sneak in there? Just grab a ladder and walk past everybody. That gimmick, that joke is always funny to me. I absolutely love it. <laughs> you want to know what's more ridiculous about this scene though is that jack is holding a landline and he's holding a phone in his hand as he walks in as a telephone yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Hey, Hey, Trevor. Oh, yeah, yeah. We know all this. Oh, yeah, we did it this last time. Phone's over here. Yeah, all right, guys. We're from the, the telephone repair shop. <laughs> well, every time I got to sneak into a mechanic's shop and get through there somehow, I always bring a carburetor with me. Got to make sure. <laughs> got to blend in. Yeah. Man. Other guys that are walking around with carburetors. <laughs> hey, I don't know about that guy. Sure, he's got a jumpsuit on. It's got his name on his shirt. He's not holding a wrench or a carburetor. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, now, after being tied up and beaten, sorry, they, um, they're quickly subdued by rain. Uh, after being tied up and beaten by thunder, the two meet Lopan. However, he now appears as a crippled old man. Um, they're also like I think before this as well as the uh, they're tied up in the um, what are they called wheelchairs as well. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. blindfolded and, and cuffed or, or tied to that wheelchair and wheeled into that spot. Jack, yes, yeah, Jack is. Um, and um, and this um, and when he uh and i forget how they get there but like um they subdue rain uh but uh jack goes flying down the ramp in his wheelchair as well and almost falls down into a well um and what you get here is just the start of sight gags very buster keaton-esque sight gag silent film comedy is also plays an influential part of this film as well yeah in a big way definitely uh, yeah, and it really just shows to the bumbling tomfoolery of uh, Jack Burton as well, because yeah, he's positioned as a hero in the... Well, he thinks he is the hero, but it really wangs the hero, you know what I mean? Because yeah. this guy, I mean, like, he spends most of the time trying to figure out how to shoot a gun, trying to hold a knife correctly in his hands. He, he fires a gun up into the uh, the ceiling and then bricks fall down on his head, whilst Wang just becomes the greatest, slowly evolves into the greatest martial artist the world has ever seen. Right, it's kind, of, it's, kind of, it's kind of a pump fake, though, because at the beginning, even though Jack's obnoxious as fuck, he's very confident and seems very capable. He's clearly good at his job, which is literally just driving. But still, he's on the fucking thing, running his mouth, but he gets to where he's going. He's adept at gambling. He clearly understands an, a whole other culture enough to get into their underground and gamble with them. So he seems a bit of a man of the world. He seems very competent and very easy, able to learn and understand different cultures and concepts. So he comes across as this confident hero. And of course, his man comes across as this desperate, you know, sex starved, simping little sissy that fucks up his own gambling gimmick, loses all of his money, can't manage his fucking life, can't manage to talk to this girl property. He's got no confidence of any kind, and the role's completely lives with his dad. Yeah, it turns yeah, out it, it turns out mm -hmm. that he was it was always the other way around. But the way we're introduced to them leads us to believe it's the other way, where Jack's it's it's completely Jack's the sidekick. Jack is the fuck up that's just tailing behind him, and he's just got a bigger mouth. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But somehow they all work together to, you know, beat the bad guy. Because spoilers, the good guys win this. Yeah. Yeah. Shocker. First of all, they first have to meet the uh, bad guy as a crippled old man. Lopan as a crippled old man in the wheelchair, looking like a human liver spot. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> it is disgusting at this point. Um, and the whole idea of like, how does he um, transfer his uh, oral presence to the alleyways? Also, I think he's in the airport, which doesn't make sense at all. But hey, at the start, <laughs> it's magic old, man, it's magic. magic. It's an old curse from this, um, this for the second century, um, back in the day, uh, that, um, that one of the emperors defeated uh, Lopan and seven other emperors or whatever, and they put a curse on them. And there was big earthquakes that turned the world upside down. And then uh, unworldly, um, ungodly things jumped up and started causing chaos and la da 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 da. Uh, San Francisco in the 80s. Okay, that's all you need. Right. <laughs> perfectly, man. Yeah. Uh, Wang and Jack regroup with uh, Chang Sing and Egg Shen and enter a cavern to return to Lo Pan's headquarters. Um, this is jumping forward quite a bit. Um, but what I should get through before we get to here is, um, which I found interesting as well, because the production design of this movie is fantastic. This movie does look great as well. The art designer and production designer were classic Hollywood people as well. Um, so they knew the history of these type of films, be they Kung Fu movies, be they Western movies. Um, they took the contemporary at that time, fad uh, for sci-fi meets fantasy and meshed it all together um, to create the set as well. And they did really, really well with that. In particular, the Buddhist hells, yeah, because there are lots of hells in Buddhist religion and buddhism as well and they kind of just go through different levels of buddhist hell you know when they're in the hell of upside down hanging sinners i think it's called mm -hmm. as yeah. well yeah um is there anything else anything you guys wanted to point out along those lines in terms of the, the hells or production design or anything like that i fucking hate to say it but i feel like you nailed it i think you're a little more knowledgeable in that realm than i am as well yeah and the the whole elevator thing that they're going down but then they're going back up to get out of the yes. situation and stuff the whole like enlightenment of that and stuff is yeah it's there's probably a lot deeper meaning that i can really get into either like i i don't know that you know that religion so chinese mysticism is new to me and what i know about it i learned from this john carpenter film yeah, sure, 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 sure. I don't know it to any great degree. I know that um, Buddhists, that there's many different layers of Buddhism. I mean, Buddhism's so complicated, it's crazy. There's so many different types of Buddhism. Their hells are just stratified to an, an, a crazy intense degree. There are many, 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 many layers of hell well beyond Dante. Yeah. I was going to um, say, it's like if, if yeah. Dante Algieri worked for the IRS. It's it's like that. Yeah, sure. uh, <laughs> I, I, try, I tried to read a book on this at one point. And, and on yeah. Buddhism, and a, I didn't finish it to be perfectly honest. But b, I remember going, "What the fuck?" It seems from from an outsider's perspective, on uh, it seems to be a relatively simple uh, theology. But once you start peeling back layers, you're just like, "Holy shit, dude!" Not only is yeah. there a metric fuck ton yeah. of layers, but every one of them are complicated as fuck in and of themselves. It's yeah. batch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but Jack and Wang and Poe's uh, journey 
uh, basically to feed the bad guys in the San Francisco Chinese underworld. It does touch on that through the art design and the production design. Yeah, the set design really, really well. Okay. Uh, but, 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 but. Now, they've all got together, uh, basically, at this point. The uh, egg shins, uh, the, they get out, yeah, but eventually they have to get back in because um, they forgot the two ladies. They didn't rescue the damsels in distress, which is Mao Yin because she has the green eyes. Because the thing for Lo Pan to um, become flesh again, if I have this correct, uh, and basically rule the universe, I think he goes from flesh and then transcends to be a demigod-like figure to be able to rule the universe. But first he must become flesh. He needs to sacrifice a girl with green eyes to his god, yeah? To his mm -hmm. malevolent god, a Celt. I'm not even going to try and pronounce to not offend or not sound stupid. Um, but along the way, he discovers Gracie Law, who also has green eyes as well. So he goes, ha-ha. Put it simply is I can kill one and then ma marry both, kill one, bang the other. Yeah, this is a bad guy. <laughs> but that's yeah. pretty much his plan, yeah? Um, so Wang, Burton, and co, they get out of the underworld. They make their way down, and then they make their way up and out into the street again, but they've forgotten the damsels in distress. So they have to go back in, but they get Egg Shen, uh, who is kind of like a Chinese ghostbuster, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> um, they have to get him on board because he knows a, a bunch about magic and has a magic potion. Quick bit of trivia. Egg Shen's workshop slash office. Do we recognize that set, gentlemen? Yes, that is. I recognize it right away. It's the fucking firehouse from the Ghostbusters. 100%. 100%. Cigars okay, plenty yeah. all round. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, uh, now they pull out. Now, once they, they get back in, and he's also got a gang with them as well. The uh, uh, regroup the Chang. There we are, the Chang Sing. They're the um, the street gang with the black and the gold. Yeah, not with the red. The red guys, the bad guys, gold with the good guys. Um, they uh, and enter a they enter a cabin to Lopan's head uh, headquarters. They make their way down basically to his palatial kind of mansion underground, and Ed pours the group a uh, potent potion. I don't know what this potion's meant to be. Basically, it's a kick-ass potion that gives you a great buzz. And Egg pretty much explains it as such. Uh, Jay goes, what is this? You know? Um, and uh, Egg goes, oh, it just gives you a good buzz. Drink it down. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much as far as it's explained. Um, I, love that. Up to I love that for this film. Please. Like, here, take this. It'll yeah. kind of fuck you up. You'll be good. Like, that's all that they did with it. And I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and that, and that pretty much is the spirit of this film and that all the explanation that is needed for things as well in terms of the dialogue. Yeah. Mixed in with great martial arts um, fight scenes, which we've seen all along to get to this point, yeah, um, is them being captured and them escaping. Um, then a whole bunch of fight scenes and a whole bunch of moments for kind of slapstick, bawdy humour and sexual tension between Jack and Gracie. I, I think that sums it up pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to get yeah, to get to this yeah. point. 
Um, so they take their um, <laughs> now Lopan. Um, they've all they're all setting up for the wedding ceremony. Yeah, so Lopan and all his droogies, uh, droogs uh, are based uh, in the main wedding hall, and Gracie and Miao Yin uh, have been dressed in traditional Chinese wedding garb. Uh, I think Lightning Guy turned their eyeballs white into the backs of their heads, so they're hypnotized or whatever, so they're ready to be betrothed. Um, and so Egg, Jack, Wang, etc., are going, I think, up at this point in the lift, going, well, yeah, or down, I'm not sure, whatever, going just, oh, I feel kind of awesome. And then they're just slapping each other on the back, going, yeah, America's awesome. Uh, let's kick ass. And off we go to the final fight scene, yeah? Um, and, yeah, the final fight scene's pretty extraordinary, to say the least. Uh, the three storms are there. They're just flying around everywhere. Um, Wang and I think it's Lightning, yeah, have this Mortal Kombat fight scene where they're just crisscrossing, flying through the air because at this point Wang can now fly. That's I know good. he learned how to fly at some point there. Was that the drink? That I don't think yeah, Jack has any superpowers, but he learned how to fly like within 15 minutes, man. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, Jack, Jack, um, you know, he, he's in high spirits. He's he's a good motivator, absolutely. But he goes in, uh, my, and he goes in for my favorite uh, uh, fight scene. Uh, sorry, sight gag is where this is where he shoots his gun up into the roof and then the bricks fall on his head. So at the start of the fight scene, he's actually passed out on the ground for the first part of it. <laughs> um and Lopan, oh, sorry, I have to mention, has been, uh, he knows this is about to happen. The fight begins because it's the, that ball, that that uh, demonic drone, you know, that round demonic globular thing that flies through the air. Yeah. And uh, One with the human this. face? Is that what you're on about? Yeah, with the human face uh, and about four my, eyeballs out of tentacles. That's my favorite of, of all the puppets in the whole movie. It's my favorite one. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty rad. Um, that's what starts off the fight scene uh, as the marriage ceremony is about to start. Lo Pan is doing the bloody, the pricking of the uh, fingers of the two girls. Uh, and once they start to bleed, he starts to bleed, he comes back to flesh. How that works, it's symbolism, it's magic, that's all you need. And then, yeah, the fight scene's continuing. Jack Burton, he does get up, uh, but then one of the big, um, you know, samurai bronze statue golem-like things that are about 12 feet tall and 500 pounds, um, he manages to do a little kind of boot knife stab into the weak spot, I guess, of one of them, but it falls on top of him and he's stuck while Wang's flying through the air <laughs> doing awesome shit. That's how good Jack's going at this point. Um, now... The good guys win the battle as well, though. Wang kills Rain in a sword duel while Jack and Gracie chase Lo Pan. Lo Pan gets away with uh, Gracie. Wang joins them, and uh, Jack kills Lo Pan with a knife throw. Basically, this is how this ends up. And I talked about the foreshadowing at the start uh, with the original gambling scene where Wang hits the bottle with the knife to fly up. Jack's face, he catches it. Um, at first, he misses the knife throw um, when he goes to kill Lopan. 
And Gracie looks at him going, can't you even throw a goddamn knife? You're meant to be the hero and you're standing there still with my lipstick on your face <laughs> at this point. Because they've kissed at this point, yeah. Because uh, the sexual tension built up long enough and Gracie just had to admit her love, you know, her sexual animal attraction to Jack Burton. How could you not? This is the 80s. Um, Lopan picks up the knife. Well, this, this is the knife's knife. Goodbye, Mr. Burton, throws it at him. Jack catches it, all on the reflexes, bang, straight into the forehead. Lopan's dead, good guys, uh, sorry, bad guys done. Um, and then the whole place starts to explode, as was pretty much a common trope for these type of films when the bad guy dies. Uh, his hideout, his headquarters dies with him and explodes with him. All the good guys get out and they come to the restaurant at the end. Everyone's all paired up together. You have Margot with Eddie. You have Mia Yin back with the fiance, uh, Wang. Jack and Gracie. Now, they don't quite, this is a little romance of the stone moment even, they don't quite get together. Yeah, because now, nah, well, you know, I always get on everyone's uh, nerves by the end of the day. And Gracie's kind of looking at, yeah, that's what I like about you. I wouldn't be sexually attracted to you if you wanted me, if you, we got together. Even then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get the feeling that both of them are a pain in the ass. Like, no matter what type of relationship mm -hmm. they were in, if 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 I were gay and with you with your man, I'd get annoyed as fuck with him immediately. Same way with that broad, I'd be like, dude, I'm done with you. I can't. When you chew, it makes me fucking lose my mind. She would make me crazy. I know it. Both. Yeah. Of them. But that's why I think it was a balanced approach by Carpenter there. And the script yeah. writer Richter as well. You know, that's what I think. That's what's really cool about this film. Um, now, there's one little bit as well, like in terms of sexual gen, sexual harmony, I guess, um, harmony between the sexes. Yes. There is a type of harmony between the races of American and Chinese here as well. In the last moment where Wang and Jack have their goodbye, um, we really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't we, Wang? And, and Wang, so yeah, we, 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 yeah, we sure did. Uh, Jack gives him the little, you know, uh, martial arts uh, kick-ass hand symbol, yeah. Um, and uh, and then Wang does that back to him as well. And then Jack goes off into the distance to continue podcasting to absolutely no one in his uh, returned rescue truck pork chop, yeah. And yeah, poor job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, but the last moment though, the last beat, the last scene, shot, if you will, um, is that demonic orangutan Sasquatch beast, which Gracie kicked in the nuts, gave the Rochambeau to in the final battle scene. Uh, is at the back of the truck comes in two shot. Boom credits, yeah. So, so suggesting, I guess you had to leave space for a sequel back in the eighties, yeah. I, I think Carpenter, <laughs> Carpenter liked to leave things a little unraveled at the end. He didn't put, he didn't ever clean things up with a nice, neat bow. Well, I mean, maybe he did a couple of times, but he didn't like to do that. It, it wasn't. I don't think he was setting himself up for a sequel. Not, not, I would anybody else, I would say that Carpenter. Okay. I think was just going. Okay, that's fair. This is just a fuck with people this is just yeah. to be like here you go fucking chew on that figure out what i was trying to do yeah 
yeah, that's that's sound. I, I feel you. I feel you. Um, big ass, yeah, a big ass storm just started. I hope everybody didn't isn't hearing that. <laughs> I did hear. Was that th was that a thunderclap? Yeah, man. Oh yeah, just I hear started. That on my side I, I had sound the, too, dude. I had the okay. window slightly open, um, which we normally don't do, and it started raining so. a little. But then it just fucking it just saw. I saw lightning and heard thunder immediately. Wow, so it does it does rain in California, folks. Yeah, evidence. Right man, <laughs> I honestly I'm not bullshitting. I feel like this might be the first time this year. <laughs> yeah, seriously, man. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, he worse than us in that sense. Uh, anyway, let's not discuss the weather. Let's uh, final thoughts on the film. I'll just go quickly. I said it before. This film is lots of fun. Great to revisit. Uh, pacing's phenomenal. That's what I really say about this film. A standout element is the pacing is fantastic. It's pretty much pitch perfect. Yeah, Good it's a day in the life. It's a yeah. it's a day in the life of Burton. It's it's great. <laughs> And, and it's just boom, boom. After the first six, after the exposition, twenty minutes. So as soon as you get to that street fight in the alley, it's just boom, 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 boom. Yeah. If you want something, you don't have to think seriously about. You want to have lots of fun, and it's going to keep you engaged and entertained. Really, this is in the top tier category for your suggestions. Yeah, for your recommendations for that type of mood, for that type of watch. Uh, Reverend, what do you reckon? Big Trouble, Little China. Oh, this is a fucking phenomenal film, man. Like, I'm so happy that you chose this. It blows my mind that I had, like, almost forgotten about it. Like we had gone over earlier, I needed to see this. I'm, I'm going to rewatch it, and I could take a break from it, and it's still going to have that hard-hitting quality to it. You know, it, it's – it defies genre. How about that? Let's say that it fucking defies genre because I love this film. There's not much blood, but there's badass special effects in it. There's badass special effects that don't yeah. even need to be in it. There's just all yeah. kinds of cool shit going on. There's wire fights through the air. Mm -hmm. Like literally they jump back and forth on wires, fucking Kung Fu fighting. It's got everything. It's got truck driving. Like how could I not love this fucking film? Absolutely. Um, this is one you can show to your kids as well. Yeah. Very, very, yeah, it does have a PG-13 rating from the 80s. Um, yeah, I think it's, I, don't th I, I, I would show this to my kids in a heartbeat if they had an interest in genre film, which would be a good place to start because they get a taste of everything. There's nothing that crazy in it, I think. Like, um, if you're going to be, if people are going to get offended by this, it would be uh, unreasonable adults of 2021 <laughs> that would get offended by this film. Yeah, I think I think what you have here that the only thing that might be an issue is the what they call now because now nowadays not only do we have the rating system, but they tell us exactly why it's rated that, which can honestly be a bit of a spoiler on some level. I fucking hate it, but thematic scary elements is what you would get out of it and that that one of the reasons it would be pg-13 it there are parts where especially in 1986 when this was the height of of special effects kids could have gotten scared from this you know a younger yeah, okay, kid. sure sure but sure. but at the same time i watched this with my youngest who's eight years old seven years old almost eight okay. and we watched it and 
she thought it was fucking hilarious. It was great. Yeah. You know what I mean? The scariest thing in it is that fucking drone, that flesh drone that fucking spies on a drone. That's definitely the freakiest thing in the entire film. There's a couple jump scares, like when the other Muppet comes down and eats that dude in the sewer. You know? Yeah. I could see how that, but once again, we're splitting fucking hairs here. Like, right. this is totally, a, to me, I think it's kids' movie. This is Gremlins level. I really do think yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Good. It's Gremlins level. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's, um, if I think that's all that needs to be said, it's a great film. Go watch it. Let's get into the gimmicks. All right. Um, I'm no good at, I'm no good at um, spotting it. Uh, so I didn't really pay attention. Product placement. Um, yeah, Puma. Oh, that truck. He gets cut off totally yeah. unnecessarily. Nothing comes of that. He gets cut off. He goes, "Ah, oh, come on, fuck out of here! What are you doing?" And it's there's no reason that never comes up later. It's not foreshadowing, but it was an excuse to show the Puma logo for a. And it also it wasn't an inordinate amount of time but it was a little long they held that guy cuts him off and then it stays on it for a second or two probably longer somatic cinematically than it needed to okay okay yeah okay. no i didn't really yeah. notice any blatant pl- product placement in this one either uh that's a freight liner that he's driving which is you know you. basic bitch truck I don't think so. there's anything blatant, but I, I'm willing to bet there, if we if you look for it, a lot of times these companies, and this there has to be more than just that because this is Fox we're talking about. So it, a lot of these companies will, and remember the budget was really high, 25 million at max is a yeah, lot like of money for 1986. It's, so It's like 150 million nowadays, roughly. Yeah, which is still, yeah. that's not an, insane amount nowadays but that's a good chunk of change so what they'll do is people will pay to they purposely want just a coke can left right there they just want they want a bag of doritos just over in the background no one needs to mention it no one needs to eat them they just need to kind of be there there's not a spotlight on them they're just fucking there sure Um, sure. it's more of a subliminal advertising thing so um, I'm sure there's something I really wasn't looking for. Yeah. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I should have. I tried cool. to see it, man, and I didn't find anything. I usually look because it's an A's film. If they're smoking, you can see if they fucking got that. And like when they're drinking or whatever, when they're drinking yeah. and the bottle that he tries to chop in half, it looks like a, a what is that? Topo Chico or whatever. But, but it it's beer. Like, it's yeah, a Chinese so it beer. Like, dude. Yeah, it was some. You know, nothing, it wasn't, they weren't drinking Budweiser. If they would have gotten Budweiser money, they would have had, like, an obvious Budweiser. But, you know, it was nothing specific product placement-wise, I don't think. Well, that's, right. that's, that's interesting. So Fox took a bit of a chance on this film as well because there was no huge commercial success for Carpenter up until this point because the thing, I mean, like, that started making money because it, kind of flopped to start with. I don't know if it's had started making money up at this point in 86, from so, 81 to 86. May, maybe from maybe from home uh, rentals. Yeah. But I really think that at this point oh. in time, what it is 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 that he's a name. And that they're now, yes. he's now not doing Halloween. He's not doing the thing. He's not doing the fog. He's not doing horror. He's now doing a almost 
totally family friendly, goofy, yeah. buddy, romantic action comedy movie. And they can market this to everybody, at least they think, until they realize they don't know how to market it. But I think they're like, that's a name that people know. And we, and this is uh, going to be a more wide reaching audience that we can reach with this movie. This could be a huge, huge blockbuster. That's what I think they were banking on. Action movies at the time were the biggest thing in the world. Absolutely. And he had also just done Starman before this. That's right. There you go. Family friendly science fiction romance. Yes. Right. I forgot. Trying, totally, yeah. totally forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. I think that was a big part of our Fox going, okay, you can do this. Yeah. Um, and, but as we pointed out, they didn't know how to market it. They didn't know what it was, what to do with it. And after this, John Carpenter gave a middle finger to this, uh, the industry, to, you know, Hollywood system and went in to do some independent uh, stuff as well. Prince of darkness and they live and I'll throw it out there now, which um, is our next episode. Commander's going to be taking, uh, commanding that one. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, all right. Um, blah, 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 blah. Jobber Royale. This one was difficult, gentlemen. I don't know if you Oh, yeah. I'm, I was dying for this because everyone is, is, is a goon in this. Everyone. Everyone's kick ass. Everyone is absolutely near. Everyone is kick ass except pretty much four security guards. Yeah. The people who are at desks when they walk in. Yeah. Um, my God, you could even throw the madam at the brothel in. Oh, I'm just about to call an audible because I okay. just remembered her. The madam at the Chinese brothel. Okay. Uh, yeah, verse, because, okay, I was going to go Gracie Law versus Meow, Meow Yin, complete jobbers. That's what I yeah. would have done too, but this... <laughs> This brothel gimmick is good. Who who's she going against though? So it's gonna go Margot versus Meow. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if I said that just then. <laughs> no, I was gonna go Margot the reporter versus Meow oh. Yin. So complete jobbers. Yeah. The two okay. in terms of and make it a female match. I don't know. It's not that compelling. But I think it's acceptable in terms of High-level jobber that Gracie Law is versus uh, the, the the brothel, the madam, the brothel, the madam at the brothel. Okay, so madam at the brothel versus who was it? Gracie, Gracie Law. Is oh, that okay. acceptable? Gracie. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Sure. Fight. Huh? Okay, <laughs> this is actually difficult because clearly Gracie can, is is not a chicken shit. She can fucking scrap. Um, we see that. Sure. But this madam, this madam's a streetwise old broad running a brothel in fucking Chinatown in San Francisco. Yeah, That's, man, I've been there. She's taking it, dude. It's the madam. I, I got to vote too, man. Yeah, so. you, you you can't be a pussy and do that job. Um, yeah, I got to go the madam because she's a street hardened fucking goo. Whereas Gracie Law, I don't know. I get the feeling she's got an anger problem that can probably fight a little bit, but she's. I get the feeling she's a little pampered. Yeah, I think it goes to the. I go to the madam. Yeah, you both saying this? I'm definitely so. going with the madam, man. There's no way uh, 
that Gracie Laws doing anything to that lady, man. But I'm waiting she to hear is, I'm waiting to hear the Baron's argument because he might change my mind. It has happened before. Uh hmm. As I said, this was a difficult one, maybe not the most effective um, matchup pairing, because it has, you know, most people kick ass in this film. Finding jobbers in this is difficult. Uh, that's why I went Margot Miao Yin, but it's barely, you know, it's just, that's just kind of a flip-flop affair, you know what I mean? They just, I mean, it's, it's barely entertaining to watch if it was a job of fight, you know what I mean? It's, it's very sure. much a huge, you'd put it on YouTube dark, yeah. <laughs> 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 it's that insignificant and it's consequential. Um, Gracie Law, I mean, she is a part of San Francisco in the 80s in Chinatown as well. Um, so she's got some, uh, you know, she's got some, uh, some gumption about her. Some, I think, is it, is it a mutz? What's the, what's the Jew, the, the Yiddish term? Mutzbah? Some, uh, yeah, chutzpah. Thank, chutzpah. Thank you about her to make us, uh, you know. Um, yeah, she's got fucking balls. She's got some energy. She's. Yeah. she's I mean, yeah. She's trying well, to so, shut down a white slave trade in fucking Chinatown as a white girl, and she lives there. So I mean, I, I mean, she's probably she's gonna bring it. They'll go like a round and a half, a couple of yeah. rounds maybe, but mm -hmm. ultimately. I don't know, man. Chinatown's pretty fucking rough. And if she's it, running the brothel, she had to go through the brothel. That's yes. the thing. It, it's like you said, you can't be a sissy and do that job either that Gracie's doing. But but homegirl at the brothel, she could take a hit. I guarantee you she could take sure. she could take beaners sure. to the chin. Just bing, sure. bing, 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 over yeah, and yeah. over and shake it off. Whereas you you catch you catch Gracie on the tip of the jaw once or twice, it's a mummy back. It's done. Absolutely, because I think the deciding factor as well, uh, if we're talking the biz, Gracie's a talker. She'll cut a fantastic promo, yeah? But then in terms of concealed objects, you know, either hidden on her person in her costume or under the ring, the Madam Arsenal, yeah? Little blades, yeah. that sort of thing. She's going to create color on Gracie as well. Raise a blade across the forehead. You know, yeah. she gets real angry. She's going to come out as Abdullah the Butcher style and just get a fork <laughs> or chopsticks and just start. <laughs> Abdullah, fuck yeah, she would go full Abdullah for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so it's the madam. Yep, the madam takes this round. All right. There you go. Write it down there, Commander. Thank you. Uh, and just to round it off, I think as well, favorite bit of violence. I'll start as mine's is light, but I really appreciated because uh, I've been reading up a bit on Buster Keaton and sight gags and films as well. And this, uh, oh, god movie damn it, has quite a bit. I don't know if I'm stealing something here, but it's when the fight, the, the final showdown is about to start. Shoots the gun up in the air, bricks fall on the head, he passes out. Yeah, that was yours as well. Come that on. was mine. That, I've been, <laughs> I normally give away what my bit of violence is. I'm like, I'm not going to do that this time. I always mention it in the middle of our talks. I'm like, I'm going to wait. I'm going to do this the yeah, right yeah, way. Yeah. And there it is. Yeah. Fuck yeah, that's the best <laughs> thing that happens. It's my favorite part in the whole movie. It's right. <laughs> and he's got this shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking it knocked him clean out. Stupid motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh. Okay, Reverend, vary it up. What do you have? Uh, the fucking drone dying. The drone getting killed, you know? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. because I hate that thing. Everyone hates that thing. It's fucking, it's off-putting. Like, <laughs> yeah. it comes into the movie and you're just like, wow, I wasn't really expecting this weird demonic flashlight fucking flying around the fucking room. Yeah. Uh, so that thing dying makes me pretty happy. So that's yeah, going to be my favorite. That thing's a fucking, that thing is a goddamn flesh covered Rorschach test. That thing is, it's fucking yeah. horrifying. <laughs> um, it's called the guardian. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I'm well mistaken. done. It's called the guardian. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, though, my, one of my favorite scenes is fucking when they're, they're initially trying to follow the gang and they're in the cool car and he's chasing them with the fucking semi truck. And he's just like, right, right here. He's like, where, where? right now and he fucking swings that fucking semi into that alleyway because that was in san francisco that's not a set it's fucking rad oh and those alleyways in san francisco are Mm -hmm. fucking tiny dude they're thin as fuck they really are yeah that's like true but like the whole fight scene where he like tries to run over uh you know everyone that's a set but that initial where he pulls into the alley and he does the skid, that's someone in a semi doing that shit down an alleyway in San Francisco. And it's fucking rad. Yeah, man. That's cool. That is cool. That is cool. It's something I do miss from movies. Like, I'm not a big car guy, but I loved when they used to do shit with real cars. Yeah. Like, I've never watched a Fast and Furious movie. That shit... It's so uninteresting to me. It's unbelievable. But shit like that, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, car movies like that, I'm like, that's the coolest. Look at how they drive those fucking things. It's amazing. Fucking yeah. amazing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Only a few movies for myself with car chase scenes am I excited by. You're fast and furious. Fuck off. But uh, Ronan, have you seen Ronan? Oh, yeah. With uh, De Niro? Dude, yeah. that movie fucking rules. I feel like that's kind of criminally slept on uh, as a De Niro. It is. It is. I love that. Yeah. Sean Bean um, having those car chase scenes through Nice in France. We're talking small European village alleyways. Yeah. yeah. That shit's berserk. That shit's berserk. Yeah. Um, well, I think we have shook the pillars of hell. Ah. I think we have shook the pillars of heaven, gentlemen, with Big Trouble in Little China. Um, Any final words? Um, I am stoked that Ah, this popped the carpenter cherry. Yeah, we popped the carpenter cherry. Uh, We need to rate it. Um, Mm. Yeah, 7 out of 10 for me. Uh, yeah, it's decent. It's definitely worth dusting off and rewatching every so often, uh, just to get that initial pop and buzz. You know what I mean? Because this is pop. This is probably one of the greatest popcorn movies ever made. Absolutely. Um, what's it like um, in terms of an element? Um, uh, just uh, uh, a sugar, a sugar rush. There we go, sugar buzz. Yeah. <laughs> Only, yeah. don't do it too much but um, when you do it um, it's, you'll have a hell of a fun time boom reverend <laughs> you know I'm gonna go uh, I'm gonna split it and go a 7.5 I really really like this film it's missing some some of the violence that I would like in a film but there's not much for me to complain about in this film 
at all. It's fucking rad as shit. And the pacing goes, my ADD ass sat my ass down and watched this entire movie from beginning to end. I wasn't distracted or anything. Like, you know, it just, it, it's action packed. And I want to know what the fuck happens. I know what the fuck happens. But I need to know what the fuck happens next. And I need to see every second of it because you sit there glued to the seat. So 7.5, which is like the highest thing that I can do without boobs and blood, I think. Um, as far as ailments, I will say this is... Let's go skin cancer. Because I deny it. And then every couple of years, I'm like, oh, yeah, look at that. <laughs> that might be serious. So, yeah, that checked out. <laughs> <laughs> Don't skip cancer. Be done. That's be done. Oh, um, you know it's funny. I was gonna go seven five myself until uh, the Baron brought up the watchability account that I didn't consider, um, and I gotta go a solid seven on this. Um, worth watching. Everyone in on Earth should see this movie at least once. It's phenomenal. But yeah, it's um, especially if even considering the fact that the rewatchability is an issue, even with the nostalgia factor, then that's a big, that's saying something big about it. So yeah, I, I think a solid seven. Um, and I'm going to go a little, I'm going to go a little off book here. I think this is kind of comparable to a, a, being high, a balance on the balance beam of caffeine and weed. This movie okay. Okay. keeps moving, keeps you going, but it's also chill as fuck. You know it's not that serious. It's going to be fine. And you know it the whole time. It's going to be fucking fine. But you're also like, what the fuck's going to happen? So, yeah, this is weed and caffeine and... um and it's a fucking solid seven for me. Highly recommended, though. I will say that as well. Yeah, well, I think we all collectively nailed it there, uh, gentlemen. Um, yeah, as I said before, we're going to be back next time. Commander's doing a day live. This is a carpenter double up that we are doing. And um, yeah, and if we're not back, call the president. And <laughs> tell me to go fuck himself. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.